Bow ties and spaceships, laughter and tears. You are now tuned into the Disney Holic Show. Hello and welcome to the Disney Holic Show. That's Jen Diz. And that's Mike TV. We're flashing back to the 80s today. We'll start with the whimsical world of Paul Rubens, aka Pee Wee Herman, explore his ties to our Disney childhood. Then we'll cosmically rewind to the 86 film Flight of the Navigator. into those topics. Walt Disney World just turned 52. That's that's wild. 52 years old. 52. 52. And look at us. We were just at their 50th birthday. Now two years ago it was. Wow. Isn't that crazy to think about like that disaster of a 50th anniversary? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm still not over it. It's been two full years. Yeah, I feel burned (laughs) by it. And I will now hesitantly sign up for some of the Disney World. We always know Disneyland does really good events, but Disney World, uh, hit or miss. But nonetheless, happy 52nd birthday. Magic Kingdom, technically, right? Yeah, Disney World. 52nd. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So let's talk about Paul Rubens. I've been wanting to since he passed away, RIP. And I'm trying to think of like, how does that fit into Disney Holics? And I realized, gosh, there's a lot. Not only just Paul Rubens and Pee Wee Herman and his sort of uh, creativity, but there's actual physical, not physical, but there's literal Disney connections that I'm excited to talk about too. But we have to really go back to the time in which Pee Wee was popular especially Pee-wee's Playhouse. So this was like around, this is like the late 80s. And I think we need to talk about it because we have core memories. We're like millennial, Gen X. Uh, sometimes we call ourselves <laughs> the MTV generation or Xennials because we're right there on that cusp where we've seen the 80s and the 90s growing up, right? Yeah, we are for sure. And very nostalgic because of that, I think. Uh, but let's think about some Disney memories of that area. What was going on in the parks? Yes. Uh, so yeah, this was like, we're talking like 86 through 90. And that was the time when Star Tours came out at all the parks. Disneyland, Disney World, I think International. Captain EO debuted. Splash Mountain. <laughs> great movie ride at MGM at the time. And a full-on water park, Typhoon Lagoon, opened at Disney World. So that helps remember like what this uh, era was like. Movies. Let's talk Disney movies. Where where was our mind at that time? We had Great Mouse Detective, Flight uh, of the Navigator, which we'll talk about. Yes. Oliver and Company came out. The Little Mermaid, 1989. There we go. Rescuers Down Under, Roger Rabbit, Turner and Hooch, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like that. Oh my God, I'm attached to every right? single one of those films. <laughs> that is definitely a time period. And then what about TV? So if we were at home watching TV, we had DuckTales, we had Chippendales Rescue Rangers, Tailspin, The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which is the Winnie the Pooh I remember most, like the song and everything. Same. Uh, we had the Gummy Bears, love. And then that was Gummy also the time... Bears. We had the Disney Sunday movie where they would play like either a previously theatrical release or something from the vault. And they played on Sunday and you'd Mm -hmm. all sit around and you'd see the castle show up. Uh, So, yeah, let's set the stage. That was when Pee Wee was popular was the same era. So you said you have connections. Like what what do you think about when you go to that childhood memory, those core memories? I mean, it's just this like world of comfort, I feel like, like especially like Oliver and company, like Little Mermaid was such a big deal to me, right? That was like a next level. But ones like Oliver and company, Fly Navigator, Great Mouse Detective, like those like really just make me feel like I am a child again, like wrapped in a blanket, watching TV with my family or watching movies at home with my family, right? So it just, I don't know, it hits, hits a spot. But we hadn't even met by this point. I wanted to point that out too. This is like... It, an era in both of our lives where we were kind of like running down the same like universe like timeline yeah. but separate right we ha- our paths hadn't crossed yet 
Imagine I tra- traveled through time into this timeline at my current age, which I think is 41. And I came to Thanks. you. <laughs> I came to you in 1987. You would have been what less than 10 years old. And I'm like, hey, remember this era because it's going to shape our lives and we're going to meet again in the future. And then I disappeared. How weird. And then we're going to have a podcast. We're going to talk all about it. (laughs) Yeah. So that is interesting. It definitely shaped us. But yeah, we didn't know each other yet. We were still kids. But this sort of like Disney fantasy world, but it was also grounded in reality because this was like those movies where like Mm -hmm. the kid experienced it or even Star Tours, it was like in our park and we were the ones walking on board that ship. So what a time. What a time. What a time. So now we know the era. So let's talk about Pee-wee's Playhouse. (laughs) All right, I had to put a little bit of that intro. So that was the beginning intro of the Pee-wee's Playhouse TV show. Uh, And it's really cute, so I'll leave some in the background. We're going to talk about Pee-wee's Playhouse, one of my favorite shows. I would think it definitely shaped me as just like a creative person. What uh, memories do you have about the show? And then we'll talk all about it. So the things I remember the most from the show are probably like a couple of the segments, but also the characters. So Cherry is like the first thing that pops oh, out so to me cute. is Cherry. Yes. Yep. And I don't remember his name right now, but the guy in the wall... The little like the doors open. Jambi, and it's the genie guy. Jambi, yeah, totally. Jum- um, Jambi with that with a an, an accent. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and the one segment that stands out the most is connect the dots. La, 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 la. <laughs> Classic Pee Wee. Um, and you know what else he used to do is secret word of the episode. So I thought you know we have. We're only 10 minutes into this episode. I say we come up with a secret word and we're going to say it. Oh my it. God. And anytime we hear ourselves or you <laughs> listeners or viewers hear the word, you got to scream as loud as you can. That's what they used to do. <laughs> and the secret word of the day is going to be spaceship. Ooh. Ooh okay. Um, all right, spaceship. so everybody knows spaceship is a secret word of the day. All right, let's get back to Pee Wee's Playhouse itself. Uh, I pulled a description so that for those who didn't have the, the uh, what's the word, the honor, the privilege of seeing this hilarious, fun, cool show. This is how it's described. Whimsical TV show from the late 80s set in an imaginary and magical land. This series features the eccentric and ever-curious Pee-wee Herman embarking on wild adventures with his living furniture and interesting pals, fusing live-action, puppetry, animation. Each episode delivers a bizarre, funny, and heartwarming journey, packing life lessons into the mix. That's great. That's edutainment right there, one of our favorite concepts. Yes. (laughs) Learning, but having fun. And yeah, and all of the media uh, formats that were in that one show, puppets, animation, live action, full on sets. That's very true. I never really thought about that. Yeah, really, really fun, probably really cool creative outlet for everybody involved. Um, I also don't think I ever realized it's supposed to be in a magical land, like imaginary place. I thought it was just like this crazy guy that lives on the street has all this wild things going on in his house. <laughs> that is a actually a good um, observation because in the movie, he is what you described. His house is, is not in the imaginary Ooh. place. It's on a regular street. Granted, it's like Maybe a Tim why. Burton version of the suburbs, but it, uh, he definitely was in the regular world. In, Interesting. Yeah, in the movie version. In the TV show, it's like in this imaginary place. And uh, you had mentioned some of the carries characters i love cherry the big blue chair that talks with the big eyes and the (laughs) eyelashes uh there was also penny she had pennies for eyes she was claymation and she would come on and do these little animated shorts Um, i completely forgot she was from this show like i know her for sure i thought she was like one of those like psa right yeah you know what i mean that pop up in the commercials (laughs) and tell you to stay in school or whatever (laughs) and there was those other good ones on 
I don't know what channel, but like after these messages. Yes, we'll that's right exactly where I thought she was from. Like those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those were claymation also. Uh, there was other characters. So the person who or the thing that printed out the word of the day, it was a robot or robot called Conky. Very cute. And so he would print that out. And then there was a dinosaur named Terry, short for pterodactyl. And that one was a puppet and it would fly around. And they didn't really, they didn't hide like the strings and the sticks, which I actually think is charming. I think that's cute. It's like, it's not supposed to not be a puppet. It's supposed to be a puppet that is real, I guess. It's weird. Yeah, it's his playhouse, right? Yeah. It's all imagination. Um, Then there was this really weird uh, character called Randy. And he had like a red flat top and he was pretty mean. And I'm realizing he reminds me of Sid from Toy Story. 100 percent that's what i was just thinking yep just he was mean right so like he was mean. Heck, he's like the bully in the house yep totally uh there is a character named globy who was an actual globe with a face arms and white gloved hands um and they would use globy like when they would say oh what is it like to um weave fabrics in this nation in africa and then they would zoom in on globy and he would take them and transport them to this edutainment moment. And then there was also this jazz band. I think they were just called the Puppet Band, and they would show up every now and then. And they were like the Chuck E. Cheese band, but all small puppets and, like, really cool. Like, they talk yeah, like Yeah, they're like that. cool cats. Yeah, <laughs> jazz, man. Like that, and they had the yeah. little hat. Uh, very, very fun. And then there was human characters on top of all this. Uh, so some of the ones that I remember, Captain Carl, he was a sailor, uh, Cowboy Curtis, he was like this Wild West guy, and he was actually played by Lawrence Fishburne, and he wasn't that big at the time. And yeah, he was Whoa. in it. Yeah, good old Lawrence Fishburne from The Matrix and all these other movies. Oh my gosh. Um, there's this other character that would come up called the King of Cartoons, and he was live action, but then he would introduce cartoon cartoons from like back in the day, real old ones. And he was the King of Cartoons. Um, do you remember Miss Yvonne? She's kind of flirty. Okay, was was she the one with the? Oh, I'm thinking of the movie again. Nope, I'm thinking oh. of the movie. Never mind. I I do remember him having like a love interest, so like a girlfriend. I think you're thinking of Dottie, but... right? Dottie from the movie. Yes. Yeah, and he would like Big call hair, her. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Miss Yvonne is kind of similar. She was like a caricature of like a housewife type of thing, flirty. She's called the most beautiful woman in puppet land. So everybody loved her, but she was live <laughs> action and she would stroll in. Really cute. Kind of like um, Agatha type of person, that kind of vibe. Okay. Uh, then there was the Playhouse Gang, who were usually just kids. They were sort of like, you know how Sesame Street has kids, real kids that show up? Um, every yeah. now and then, Pee Wee would invite the Playhouse Gang, and they would come on and learn something. Then there was a ton more other than that, but wow, core memories for me. And then fun fact, Seriously. the theme song, guess who sung the theme song? No idea. Cindy freaking Lopper. <laughs> really yeah Wait, so, hold up Cindy she Lop- was like super popular then yeah right? she was really Already? popular so this was like this cool group of people there are also folks in there that were involved with saturday night live and stuff like okay. that so it was very much grown-up artists that put the show together that ended up becoming peewee's playhouse uh, but also it was a live action it was a live stage show for a while before it got picked up to become a, a family show so it was a oh, little wow. more adult leaning and then they brought it back so i want to say it was in maybe less than 10 years ago there was a broadway show uh peewee's playhouse and it was actual paul rumid and he brought it back it was limited run and he would be doing the full-on shows on stage, but it was a little more adult-leaning, and it was really good. And I'm so glad I got to see that, like actual Pee-wee. Aww. And he, Paul Rubens, like doesn't age. <laughs> like, yeah. He's good at still doing the Pee-wee character. Uh, so I got to wow. see that here in New York City, which was. This makes really me cool. want to. It makes me want to rewatch the older episodes, like. I definitely haven't seen it as an adult. Like, I never went back and rewatched yeah. them. I think I've seen the movie as an adult, but not the TV show, which I do remember even more than the movie. Um, but I want to see if it's some of those, you know, cartoons that can be, like, 
for both kids and adults, and it usually flies over our head when we're little. Yeah. Like, have you watched any of them as an adult? The, Do you know if most like recently, that? I think I felt that with Willy Wonka. Watching that again in theaters, full attention, I was like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff here I missed. Right, And then yeah. I would say for cartoons, a lot of Pixar ones, I think, have like those layers for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering if Pee Wee also feels that way. I don't, I don't know if it would, but probably I could give up thirty minutes of my life to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I will say maybe even just um, Pee Wee's Pee Wee's philosophy on life was already ahead of its time. So there's a quote here where he told an interviewer almost recently before his passing, and they were talking about Pee Wee's Playhouse and just the character of Pee Wee. And, P- and Paul Rubin said, I'm just trying to illustrate that it's okay to be different. Not that it's good, not that it's bad, but that it's all right. I'm trying to tell kids, have a good time, and encourage them to be creative and to question things. And I think even that itself is ahead of its time. And when you do go back and look at it, it's so diverse. Representation, everything is very diverse. Oh, wow. And okay. So that is also cool. So... Props to that. And I think if people go back and watch, maybe we will notice some things. I'd be curious yeah, about that. Yeah, I'm curious now. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yes. Um, also, there's a huge Pee-wee fandom that I learned about. Uh, so there's a lot of content out there. There's one YouTube video that I would recommend to anyone who wants to go down the rabbit hole a little bit with Pee-wee's Playhouse. There's a channel on YouTube called Secret Galaxy TV. So look that up. And they have a really good... Um, episode on Pee-wee's Playhouse and they talk about where it came from, how it came together, and all the like fun back behind the scenes production issues like who was going to be a studio that picks it up, what channel was it going to air on, all that good stuff. It's all in that video. But some of the things that I uh that really stood out that I wanted to talk about was they really wanted to model the show off of the old school live kid shows like the classic Mickey Mouse Club. So there you go, these full circle moments. Like he was even thinking like that. Um, And he also wanted to make sure the show resonated with adults. Like it was very by design. And and that whole edutainment thing that we keep talking about. And so when I was Mm -hmm. listening to this, these people talk about Paul Rubens that way, it kind of reminded me of Walt Disney a little bit. And like the way he thought about... The consumer behavior and yes it's a business but it can also be special and life-changing right. and it can reach a wide audience oh paul rubens so um That's very sweet so yeah check that out if anybody's interested in learning more about peewee and there's other peewee stuff outside of playhouse we talked about the movie a little bit which was the tim burton movie i believe that was tim burton's first feature film which is very cool Um, But there was other things. He had a Christmas special uh, that was set in the Playhouse. And you could watch the whole thing. That's on YouTube also. But um, in the Christmas special, he brought on Mickey Mouse Club veteran Annette Funicello. So there you go. Another connection there. And they just have this funny video where he's teaching her how to brush her teeth. And it's it's hilarious like physical gag comedy like she has green stuff on her teeth really funny but it was cute seeing those two (laughs) sort of together um peewee also is part of the marvel comic universe i won't say the mcu as in cinematic but he is a marvel character (laughs) isn't that crazy wait what do you mean by that so the funny thing about marvel is they've just been around for so long and everywhere you look they've had some involvement so Marvel turns out it turned out they brought Pee Wee Herman, the character, into the storylines with other characters like Captain Marvel and so he would show up, especially when the characters would go to Hollywood to like fight something. He would just what? randomly show up and be like, tell a joke or try to help. And it was actual him. Wait, stop it. <laughs> yeah. This is in the like the comics? Yeah. Like the drawn comics. The drawn comics. He would look like Pee Wee Herman as we know him. Yep. And so if you look at like what? Marvel websites and encyclopedias of Marvel characters, Pee Wee Herman is now a canon character. In oh Marvel. my gosh, that's hilarious. I never knew that. Yeah. There was uh, some of the ones that are really popular was he uh, appeared in a comic with Vision, the Vision we know. 
And they were trying to communicate, which created, you know, some comedy because Vision's very literal and Pee-wee's like weird. <laughs> right. Um, and then there was another one where uh, Johnny Carson from The Tonight Show also canonized and was in the comic with Pee-wee Herman. So they did a lot of that stuff. What? And I think the cool part is and why people love Marvel is it is set on Earth. It's like right. our world versus Superman in the DC comics. That's in a whole other fictional universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I was like just really sh- shook. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, I did not. I've never heard that. Never known that. This is news to me uh, so right he, here on the Disney Holic show. Right? There you go. He's <laughs> going to be memorialized forever as a as a comic character also. Um, amazing. And then there's one uh, one more thing that I thought was really nice. And this is a quote I want to read that came from a Wall Street Journal article that was published after Paul Rubens died recently. And John Jorgensen, the author, this is what he had to say. He said, Pee Wee Herman wasn't originally meant for kids. When Paul Rubens did make a Saturday morning TV show for them, his signature character came in a package that was actually shaped by underground art, punk rock, and improv comedy. As MTV was to cable, and The Simpsons would soon be to prime time, Pee-wee's Playhouse was the disruptor of TV for kids. The show's psychedelic absurdism also attracted an audience of teens, college students, and savvy parents of the show's target viewers. And he goes on to finish by saying, with Paul's wild remix of the kid shows that he grew up with as a baby boomer, like Mickey Mouse Club and stuff, Rubens put his own stamp on Generation X. Wow. Okay. Well, there's my answer, first of all. So adults did enjoy it as well yeah. <laughs> with the show. Um, it is very sweet. And that is, I love the fact that they included underground art and punk rock. Yeah. Like, so um, what cool. you'll learn in that documentary, too, if anybody checks it out, is Paul Rubens was part of the crew, like they're called the Groundlings, and they did a lot of improv. A lot of it was in New York City. And he actually auditioned for SNL, and he didn't get the part. He lost it to Gilbert Gottfried because they were the same character type, and they couldn't use two of them. They needed one who was like a character actor and loud and weird. Yeah. And so Gilbert got the part, which freed up Paul Rubens to go and take this other character he created during improv, Pee Wee, and go shop it around and turn it into something. Ah. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. It's really interesting. But yeah, he was part of that whole New York scene and that was a little bit more gritty. And if you think about it, another thing about Pee Wee's Playhouse, it seems very (laughs) stoner-ish. Like, how do you come up with these things? (laughs) That's what I was feeling, getting those vibes of like, if I were to rewatch it now, I'm like, mm. Yeah, like you either need to be stoned or on acid to come up with these concepts. <laughs> right. Uh, so what a time. That was the 80s, late 80s to the 90s. Shout out to Gen X and uh, older millennials like ourselves who fall right in between. That was a really good time. But so that was that was Pee Wee's Playhouse. I thought because we're talking about Pee Wee, let's talk also about Paul Rubens himself, not just through the lens of Pee Wee. So we had mentioned he passed away 1952 to 2023, R.I.P. And uh, but he did a lot of stuff. He won tons of awards. He was a writer. He was an actor. He was a comedian. But Pee Wee was what he was popular for, similar to. Um, some actors like the woman who played Elvira, like she kind of let that become her persona. Yeah. And for better or for worse, right? You kind of get typecasted. Right. Maybe a little typecasted. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so Paul Rubens did do a handful of stuff for Disney, and that's what got me really excited. The first thing that I found out that was news to me was who framed Roger Rabbit? So they actually needed somebody to do the voice for Roger Rabbit for all the test footage. It was Paul Rubens. Interesting. Yeah. And okay. he was actually almost going to just become the voice. And then they ended up recasting and using him as just the temp track. I was like, I don't even know who does Roger Rabbit's voice. I can hear it immediately in my head. But yeah, I don't, even know I don't think it was that. a huge actor, probably. And oh. I even pr- hearing Roger Rabbit, I could see how Paul Rubens could have done something similar. It's someone named Charles Fleischer. Charles Fleischer. No idea, but he did a good job. 
did a good job. <laughs> so uh, Paul laid down that temp track. I think we see that a lot in the music industry. Like usually a songwriter will do the vocal tracks and then they'll sell it to like Britney Spears who will sing the actual one. Yes, yep. Um, so I guess that's what Paul Rubens was doing. Um, he was in a lot of Disney TV cartoons and shorts. These I haven't seen, so I'm just going to list them off quickly. I think these were after our time. So um, there was a show called Pen Zero Part-Time Hero. Sounds like a Disney XD type of show. I don't know what it is. But he played a milkman <laughs> in that. Um, there's an animated Tron Uprising cartoon that came out kind of more recently, also way past our time, but I knew it existed. Um, he played some character there called Pavel. And then there was a Disney cartoon on TV called Teacher's Pet, which became a feature movie called Teacher's Pet, the movie, of course. That was in 2004. <laughs> Paul Rubens also voiced a character named Dennis on that. Um, there was another Disney cartoon called Pickle and Peanut. He played Count or Couch Gross. Dracula, which I'm assuming was a couch with teeth, which is funny because it goes all the way back to... <gasps> Cherry. Oh. Really cute. I'm curious what that looks like. I actually didn't Google that one. Uh, but that, his name is Couch Dracula. Um, Hercules. So Hercules had a TV series as well. He was one of the characters there. I can't pronounce it. It's Greek. And then um, Phineas and Ferb. That one I know exists. Haven't watched it either, right? That cartoon. Yeah, I know. Um, that one, he played a character called P- Professor Parenthesis. Parentheses? Okay. Parentheses. So Parentheses? hopefully yeah. we have some listeners out there that recognize some of these cartoons. And then there was one more cartoon called Midnight Madness. And he played somebody called the Pinball City Proprietor. That sounds so. like a Disney After Hours event. <laughs> it does. Midnight Madness. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So he was on the Disney payroll, you know, doing his voice acting stuff. Um, then there were some ones that are a little bit more notable. More notable. So there was a Beauty and the Beast direct-to-video release called Enchanted Christmas. Do you remember this? I do. Never saw it. Yeah, I don't remember. But the only it, reason I think it. I even know about it is because Belle wears her outfit at the parks. Like she'll wear the the cloak, and I'm like, what is that? And they're like, oh, she's from the Christmas special or whatever. I'm like, what? I think that's also my only connection with it is the outfit. It's like, okay, that comes from that weird sequel they actually call yeah. it a, a midquel because it take it's supposed to take place as an expanded scene of the christmas scene in the regular movie oh you know where wow. they're like throwing okay. snowballs so right. there's a whole movie that is set in that they're like wait we skipped right over it let's just do another <laughs> yeah. they did a lot of weird stuff in that time they did lion king one and a half do you remember that yeah. That was an extended version of Simba, Timon, and Pumbaa growing up together in that oasis, which oh. took place oh, in the movie. so that was, right? yeah, similar thing. Similar thing. A midquel? Really weird. So I guess they only could call it like half. Uh, yeah. It's like a floor four and a half, which they have. I never watched that. I never even knew what it was about. Like, I haven't even looked into it. So I I thought they were just trying to be funny by not calling it part two, part two but yes. that's why. Now there's an actual reason why. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say it wasn't good. I vaguely remember watching some of these. Um, but anyway, so in that Enchanted Christmas uh, Being the Beast movie, uh, Paul Rubens voiced a piccolo that was come to life, like a little instrument. And so he was another servant that was uh, turned into a piece of furniture due to the Enchantress. Which here we go again, oh, full circle with the living furniture. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is like his, you know, we were talking about typecasting earlier too. So <laughs> they're like, yeah, he likes living well, he... furniture. Let's just put him in that one. <laughs> right. Um, um, and actually, similar to something that you might find in the Pee Wee's Playhouse, similar to the, um, what was the guy that printed out the word of the day? Oh, the robot? Conky. Yeah. That guy. He kind of like gives me a little bit of Captain Rex vibes <gasps> from our very own Star Tours at Disneyland. Yes, that is right. <laughs> uh, Pee Wee, a.k.a. Paul Rubens, played our good old Captain Rex, who used to be uh, the captain of Star Tours, if any of you remember from back in the day. Um, RX-24 was his uh, actual name. And now you can find him over in... Ogus. Yeah, Ogus Cantina. DJ Captain Rex. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, right. that I think that was the one that I probably was the most hyper aware of that was a Paul Rubens character outside of Pee Wee Herman. Right, because he does the laugh. Yeah. 
right? It sounds like it. It's a fun <laughs> fact to bring up when you bring people to Disneyland. You're like, did you know that was Pee? That's also Pee Wee Herman. Um, so that one wasn't too big of a surprise, and one of the big ones. I hope a lot of our listeners out there also recognized that that was Pee Wee playing the voice in Star Tours. He also played the voice of Captain Rex one more time in a Star Wars Rebels episode where Captain Rex showed up. It was called Droids in Distress. Really cute episode. Um, Yeah, so he came back to voice that there. So look at him. That's adorable. Lock, Stock, and Barrel, Nightmare Before Christmas. Did you know he was one of those toys? No idea. Yeah. I had no idea until right now. So he played the voice of Locke from Lock, Sh- Lock, Shock, and Barrel, whatever they're called. Interesting. Nightmare Before Christmas. There again, Tim Burton. You know, Tim Burton loves to, to work with people he lo- he's worked with in the past. Mm, so yep. um, Tim okay, Burton also, that. Tim Burton casted Paul Rubens as the Penguin's dad in Batman Returns. He's only in it like the first one minute of Batman Returns. He has a monocle on. And it looks like Paul Rubens when you look at it. He has a monocle on and then they throw away the penguin and put him in the river. Poor poor little baby. Because he's like deformed. <laughs> so yeah, I so he's deformed. part of like the Tim Burton crew too, it seems like. Uh, so that, yeah, Aww. I thought that was pretty cool. And then, he played a lot of characters yeah. with very small roles after he was so famous. That's also interesting. Yeah, just like these little bit parts. Yeah, yeah. like Locke really didn't have very many speaking parts at all. Very small. Right? And that's his whole jam is his voice. In so. my mind, in my imagination, I'd like it to be that Tim Burton was like, oh, we need to cast someone for this. Oh, let me call my friend Paul and see if he would just show up for the studio in a just day. Just come yeah. on over yeah. for the day, yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Uh, and then, talk about full circle for this episode, he also vo- voiced the kind of droid, robot, spaceship type of thing called Max. <gasps> Word of the day! Word of the day! Word of the day! I swear that wasn't, it wasn't even on purpose. <laughs> so, Your face was totally shocked. You're like, why is she screaming? I was like, oh shoot, there it is. Uh, word of the day. So I hope our listeners caught that. So spaceship is the word of the day. But yeah, so uh, he, Paul Rubens voiced Max from Flight of the Navigator. And that takes us to why don't we talk about that movie? Because that also happened in that in that era. It's definitely core memories for us. And also there was yeah. a documentary that came out recently that we both watched. So we could talk about that um, and sort of tie it all in. So here we go. Flight of the Navigator. The movie itself, um, so that came out in the late 80s. Some fun facts about the movie itself was one of the first to use computer-generated visual effects. And that, I think we learned from That's the documentary, crazy. right? And they talk about how James Cameron yeah. saw that, and he was like, I want to use that technology. And so the spaceship... Oh. <laughs> Darn. The object itself, the unidentified flying object. The UFO. UFO. Um, The director really wanted that to have a certain shape, wanted it to be able to morph when it went faster. And the only way they could have really done that was through this new groundbreaking visual effects technology that companies like Pixar and Lucasfilm were working on. So they were able to put that in the movie. Good old Jimmy Cameron saw that and he goes, I need that technology and that's what got him to put the Terminator in Terminator 2, that liquid metal one that we all know and love. That is yes. all thanks to Flight of the Navigator. Amazing. I love that so much. There you go. Um, and then we're talking about CG effects. Everything else aside from the UFO were practical effects. And we love that, right? This is that same yeah. time again where we had those movies coming out with puppets and the mm-hmm. actors can really interact with these creatures. And so Flight of the Navigator had a ton of creatures because part of the story was they're going around to different galaxies and collecting different species and putting them in that UFO. And they're all <laughs> practical. Nice. Oh, do you remember those creatures? They're so cute. Oh, my God. They're so cute. Some of them are really gross and some of them are really cute. Yes. It's like one or the other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and in the documentary, we learned about some of the really old school uh, special effects, they, tricks that they did. So, for example, there's these floating steps that don't, uh, they just look like they're floating in midair and you walk up them to get in the UFO, right? Do you remember what they said yes. in the documentary about those? 
if I remember correctly, and I was, I rewound it like three times because like I still don't know if it's no CGI used because it's not like he said on the far side of the steps there's steel rods like attaching them to the ground or something, but you couldn't see them because they were covered, like they're stacked in a perfect way that you would never see the rods. Is that right? Yeah, it was actually that. And I'm, I'm, or did they cover that up digitally after? They're, they did, they applied both methods. So for the staircase, okay. the staircase one, it was full on trickery. No special effects, no editing. And okay, so, yeah, yeah the, that's hard to see. The closest thing I can imagine is, you know, sometimes we see, I think they have this at Disney sometimes. You see those really cool modern art sculptures. And when you walk to a certain point of view, it aligns. Yeah. yeah. It's like that, where when you're in the right spot, the things holding up the stairs disappear. They vanish. Right. And I guess that's what they that's did. Crazy. So they could only film it from certain ang- angles, but it was cheaper and more practical, and it worked. Um, and then for some of the other visual effects, they did mention uh, that if there were strings on puppets and things like that, they did delete them. But back in that time, it wasn't computer. You'd literally have to pull up the film strip and edit it out frame by frame. Oh, wow. The strings. <laughs> and that's oh how they gosh. did all those stuff like Superman and all that. Uh, so, yeah, that's just a really cool time for visual effects. There was another really impressive practical, practical effect they did in that movie where the UFO is leaving the big hangar and it has to float out of it. And even that was done with a giant crane sticking it that you just couldn't see that was holding it. Right. <laughs> and then in the movie, it later then flipped to the computer version when it was doing the flying. Love, love, love. Other fun facts. Uh, this one I always love to tell people about Fly the Navigator, that Carrie Bradshaw, Sarah Jessica Parker, SJP herself, <laughs> she is in that, a young SJP. She plays the nurse that sneaks out David Freeman, the kid in the movie. Do you remember that part? I do. And I do. Just, I have seen this movie yeah. a lot of times. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, and then there's one more fun fact that I thought was hilarious because you and I were just recently in Vancouver. And had I known mm-hmm. that there were a lot of fun fantasy films that were produced there, I think I would have uh, tried to f- seek those out. So it turns out there's an alleyway in Vancouver, a brick alleyway, that was used for a lot of movies, including Never Ending Story. And it was the yes. same one where they jump in the dumpster at the end and Valcor is flying and chasing the bullies. And full circle again, <laughs> the kid who plays the kid in Life, Flight of the Navigator played one of those bullies who had to jump in that dumpster at the end, who was getting his uh, retribution from Falcor and, and Bastion. Oh, what a time. These things are all connected. It's so cool. I would have loved to like do a film of that, of you running and having to jump in the dumpster. I That is such a striking <laughs> core memory to me because I hate the, the idea of being in trash. It's just so gross. And I remember in, in a never-ending story, it looked like shredded paper. So yeah. I was like, oh, it's not so bad. nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I can never. And anytime I see that type of shredded paper, it's the kind that looks like an accordion, like stuffing. It makes me think of that dumpster scene. That's so funny. I'm just going to tell you about this other core memory that always comes out of uh, Never Ending Story. There's a lot of these movies, like I have to say, especially the ones from when I was younger. um, I like never remember the very beginning. I feel like they're on TV a lot. And so you just might catch them while they're already like 20 minutes in or something. Uh, but I remember every inch of uh, Never Ending Story. I did. I saw that a million times over. And at the beginning, when he kind of snuck into the school's attic, yeah, <laughs> to like like camp out in there or whatever, hiding. The sound that his like the key makes. It's in a little plastic container outside yes. of the door. Yes. Like every single time I'm ever anywhere where I have to take something out of a plastic container, it just immediately flashes that scene into my head. And I happen to have on my bed frame, there's a little container attached and I put my Apple TV remote and every time I grab it, it makes that noise and it just makes me so happy. It's a core (laughs) memory released every time I use the Apple TV in my bedroom. (laughs) That is so true. Yeah, that it's such a it's so specific. Yeah. yeah, it's so specific. Something about it. I don't know why it's so random, but it just really stuck with me. That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, all <laughs> Anyways, right. back to Fly Navigator. Sorry. <laughs> no, this is all fine. This is that fantasy world that shaped us. Never-ending story, labyrinth, all of that stuff. 
was mm-hmm. just out of this more world. More puppets too, yep. Yep, Dark Crystal. I'm trying to think. There's even more that we didn't list earlier. Uh, but anyways, oh, because those were not Disney, that's why. Uh, Life of the Navigator. Okay, so there's a documentary that was more or less fan-made, but also involved the actor himself who played David Freeman. His name is Joey Kramer. So they put out a documentary called Life After the Navigator. Um, and you could watch this online for free, I think, with ads. Just like Google it. There's a couple of different places you could watch it, depending on what streaming services you have. But it's called Life of the Navigator. The documentary is described as celebrates the much-loved 1986 sci-fi classic Flight of the Navigator, explores the troubled, emotional, and inspiring roller coaster life of star Joey Kramer since his breakthrough role as 12-year-old David Freeman. So that's such at the stage there. I had no idea there was any behind-the-scenes anything to this movie. Actually, I never thought about it. And then when I saw this documentary come out, I was like, What? Because I, I then started thinking, well, what happened to that kid? Uh, so we right. both watched it. What's your initial reaction? Like, what did you learn? Uh, what did you think? I mean, the overall is it just feels like it's so hard for child stars. Yeah. I feel so bad because he was such a cutie, right? He was like the cutest little thing. And he's just like sweet little kid in this fun, quirky, uh, adventurous fantasy movie. And then, like, he goes on to his real life after that, and we all just kind of let him go, right? He just kind of like, okay. Um, but, so it was a little depressing, but it yeah. had a happy ending, so that that's good. If you guys are into watching it, um, learn about his life, and he really does share a lot. Um, but yeah, it does, it does get really hard. But they shared so much information about the behind-the-scenes stuff on Fly the Navigator that it was like, oh my god, I didn't know any of this. Yeah. You just learned so much about the film itself as well. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. And like you said, I would say it's it's almost textbook like most of the fallen child stars, like the stuff he went through between addiction and mental health and not really having the help and having a lot of money and being able to yes. do stuff with it. And in this case, it was kind of the opposite of what we hear with like the Britneys and stuff where the parents actually let him have the money. Yes, so I found that was yeah. super interesting. She, The mom was like, he made this money, he gets it. And she goes, I realized later I probably shouldn't have let him have it. Right. Because then he... You he used it all on the wrong used stuff. Used it on things that kids shouldn't be using it on. <laughs> yeah. And so so that makes me also think of the parent of child stars. Like, there's no winning. There's no wrong or right. Because you, yeah, you hoard tough. the money and then you get called like a momager who's stealing the money. Mm-hmm. So, oh, God, it's just, it's a... Uh, it's an interesting experience all around for everybody that was involved in that movie and seeing how it ended up at Disney as a distributor, but it went through different studios for a while and could have been a little bit darker, could have been a more family friendly, a lot of different versions of what it was before it became the flight of the navigator that we, we know and love. By the way, pop quiz, do you know who the navigator is in the title? Oh, I found this out through the film too. It's Max. No, it's the boy. It's Joey, isn't it? No, I always I mean, thought it was the boy, David. and then they kept calling Max the Navigator. Oh, did they? Maybe I got that wrong. I mean, I could have got that wrong. I couldn't figure it out either. I don't really know who they were ever referring to. I never thought about it until I started thinking about it today. Recently. Hold on. Wait, now I'm tripping, because I remember he goes, you're the Navigator. Who was saying that, though? I think Max. <laughs> yeah, I think Max was. I think... There must have been other people before David Freeman became that navigator in that point in time. Maybe I'm double. I do this a lot when I hear something. I flip my brain. And like, especially when there's only two options, I kind of flip flop. But I've always thought it was the boy. But now I think it's Max from whatever I watched on that show last night. (laughs) Maybe it's a little bit of both. You know, and Max also chooses the next navigator. So there we go. Aw. Um... Other parts of the movie itself, when I was watching Life of the Navigator, and you know how you were saying it's a little bit dark in some parts because it's a bit depressing, so was the movie. It was a little bit, there were some really scary parts as a kid. Like, if you thought you were gone for a few hours and you showed up back at your front door, it's years later, your parents are not there, it's someone else. Like, what? That's so scary. All right. Can we just tell people real quick a synopsis of the film if they have yeah 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 okay so 
this might be very rough, but I'm just going to do my best. Yeah. So Fly the Navigator, from what I can remember, it starts off where he kind of, the, the main, the main boy, um, the one we've been talking about in this documentary as well, he wakes up and he's in this like ravine near his house. And then he goes to his house, not having any idea what happened because he had like fallen into the ravine and he thought he just like passed out and woke up and now he's going back home right no bigs and he goes there and he his parents or the people who he thought would be his parents open the door and it's not his parents it's like this new family and they're like what the heck is going on he ends up finding his family and they're older and he's like what like he's so confused looking at them um and so what happened was during this time it's basically like an alien abduction right because we're also supposed to not remember that time when we get put back on earth right um so he spent this time in this ufo thank you very much that's gonna slip didn't you um but he spent this time with max and traveling the universe uh which we get to see more of later but then he was returned eight years later without aging so everybody's like what the heck and then nasa catches on to this because they found the ufo crashed and they're aligning it together like this random boy shows up hasn't aged a year and we all all of a sudden found this ufo so let's take him and put him in for testing and then he ends up escaping by the help of sarah jessica parker thank you very much (laughs) she puts him in another this is another weird core memory she puts him in this um little robot cart that delivers his food to him and she sneaks him in it and then he he hides in it and there's a certain van out there that looks just like this thing and i always think of flight navigator (laughs) but anyways uh, i digress um so he escapes he gets back to the uh the ship and inside there turns out they discovered that he has all this extra space in his brain i don't know if it was because they're trying to play on that humans are dumb or if he was just a kid and he had extra extra room and they like loaded all of their maps into him so they needed him back <laughs> so he helped this UFO to like go back on their mission yeah. right yeah yeah i think he ends up going back to his regular time too right he like oh yeah there was like they wouldn't they couldn't deliver him back 8 years prior because humans could die if you do that or something it's not safe but he ended up risking it to go back to his regular life because oh. he missed it and he wanted to, you know, grow up. So and it's one of those weird things too when you when you re- when you are returned to your proper timeline in these fantasy movies, nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> so you can't right. even be yeah, like, it's like a mess. yeah, you can't be like, aren't you glad I'm back? They don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, like what? You're just here two minutes ago. What's your problem? <laughs> it's cool. Um, There's another. It was also funny in the, sorry. It was also funny in the movie how. Like, if I remember correctly, the parents didn't really care that he was not older. <laughs> I think they and were there just... was some weirdness that NASA was super involved in yeah. and they needed to figure him out. But the parents were like, we just want our kid back, which is like sweet. But it is also like weird that they're just like, yep. whatever, he's not 16. He still looks eight. But they just seem happy to have him weird. back. And his there was yeah. a fun scene where um, the actor was talking about working with the actor who played... His younger brother, who they had to then cast an older person to play his younger brother, who's now older than him in the new timeline. Oh, how funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think strange. he was like 12. So he would have been 20 yeah. when he came back, right? Okay. So that, that that's like a trip. Bit. Like, I don't have a younger sibling, but I, I can imagine them suddenly now being the older one and how yeah, strange that would weird. be for both people. <laughs> like, what? Oh, my God. And all the turmoil the family had to go through thinking he'd yeah. been gone for all that time. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's dark, Pretty too. Pretty wild. Because that could have been a missing person's case and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. You remember they have it. They have the missing person's oh, right. flyer and everything. Yeah. And that's scary to Oof. see as the kid that everyone was freaking out and worried about you. That's a yeah. whole weird thing. What a movie. Like, I don't know if they would make it that straightforward these days. It's a little scary. Um, this is another movie that I think, I hate to say it because I talk shit about reboots, but this one is ripe for a reboot because it's such a cool Ooh. story. <laughs> if they do it right, they got to nail it. It's got to have an 80s vibe to it as well, I think. But um, it's an interesting story nonetheless. And you know what it always reminds me of? It gives me like... Um... 2001 space odyssey vibes because max reminds me of hal yes yes right yep 
So I feel like, and then that movie always trips me out too because that was made in the 70s. I thought that was like an 80s film for sure, but that was actually earlier even. Stanley um, Kubrick. And that made a mark. Look at uh, the opening of Barbie was a straight up tribute to the beginning of uh, Space Odyssey. Wow. Hilarious. I love it. I love all this stuff. Well, we navigated our way through a sci-fi fantasy puppet weird episode. We talked about Paul Rubin's Pee-wee, Flight of the Navigator, and just this general late 80s time period that are core memories for the two of us and I think a lot of our listeners too. So that was really fun. Yes. And can I drop another fun fact yeah. that I skipped over? You can visit the Flight of the Navigator spaceship. <gasps> Word of the day. You can visit the the spaceship in Tomorrowland, currently in Magic Kingdom. Um, it was there in Hollywood Studios for the Backlot Tour. You could see it in its original form. And look, now they painted over it red and made it part of like a fountain soda something. Like the refreshment <laughs> station. Like, yeah, if you... Yeah. If you uh, you could see him standing up, or you could get on the people mover, and you go more at eye level a couple times. You drive by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's like really, it's on top of whatever that circular, I think it sells like coffee and drinks only. It's like right next to Space Mountain. It's kind of in the center of that area there. And the red thing on top, if you look at it, you can totally tell it's it. It's just like you would never expect that that movie prop from something that's like a core memory of our childhood is just sitting there painted red in Tomorrowland. Right. And it's not as big as you might have thought as a kid watching the movie. Right. Yeah. Totally. Well, anyways, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoyed episode 157 of the Disney Holics Show. Follow us on social media at the Disney Holics. And if you'd like to get in touch, send us a DM or on Instagram or contact us at thedisneyholics.com. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Disneyland.